Well, I'm sitting here trying not to die laughing because the last words I got just before I walked up here weren't do a great job, weren't, you know, do wonderful. My daughter leans over, puts her head on my shoulder and says, please keep it short so I can pay attention. <laughs> she must have heard me practicing last night. No. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so I'm going to probably just crack up as we go through. I'm not going to ask for a raising the hands, but I assume everybody is aware that the Winter Olympics are going on. They're going to end tonight. Um, and I don't know if you watch it like I do. I've lived watching the curling. Um, we watch it pretty much every night, uh, not just curling, but all the sports. But there's something that the Olympics is intentionally doing, the broadcasting company, and they give you these little snippets here to grab your attention. Maybe it's a story about an athlete. Maybe it's background about um, the area they're in or the history of the sport. But it's an it grabs your attention, it makes you want to watch more, that's their goal, to see what's going on. Um, that's a very an intentional point that they do. Um, but have you ever had it happen in your life just out of the blue, whether you're reading or listening to something? The first time that ever really happened to me that I can remember was um, back in Latin class in high school. We were translating Latin, which if you've ever taken Latin is just dreary. But we translated out the statement, I had to look it back up again. And it, it was, when Rome fell to the barbarian invaders, there were fewer than 500 qualified centurions, not because Rome had fewer people, because it, but because it had fewer willing to make the sacrifices. And the last centurions left their shields in the heather and took a barbarian bride. What does that have to do with Christianity? Nothing. But what it has to do with is, that was the first time I was like, wait a second, what happened here? We have these two phrases that said the centurions, these were the backbone of the army for Rome. They were... The teachers, they were the ones that made all the difference. At the end, there were only 500 of them. Why? And then why did those 500 lay their shields down on the ground and walk away and marry outside the Roman kingdom and Rome dissolved away? Well, I had another moment like that a couple years ago, and this one is biblical. On Bible Study Fellowship, we were studying Paul, and uh, there's three verses in Acts, and we'll get to them later, and it um, deals with uh, Mark, John Mark as he's called, Paul and Barnabas. And it gripped my attention, these three verses. I'm like, what happened here? So I thought, I'm going to make a sermon on it. But as usual, as anybody that's done a sermon up here has uh, done before, often what we intend to do, God seems to morph it around. And as I worked on this, it changed less about these three verses and what happened there and more about Mark. So today I'm going to teach about Mark. Um, he's not real familiar to a lot of us, so I want to give a little bit of background about him. And I'm going to um, tackle those from three different areas, and then we're going to get into the, the meat of the sermon. First is, who was Mark? Biblically, who was Mark? He was the son of Mary of Jerusalem. That's in Acts 12, 12. That portion of the Bible, that's where Peter has just been freed miraculously by the angel. He's on the street, and we pick up with, when this had dawned on him, being Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people were gathered and were praying. So that's the first time we see John Mark. Biblically, from the Bible, we know he is the son of Mary of Jerusalem. Now, there's lots of inferences we can take off of it. He was Christian household. Why was he? He must have been pretty wealthy if they had a big enough house that people were gathering and praying in. But biblically, we know he was the son of Mary of Jerusalem. We also know he's the cousin of Barnabas. In Colossians 4.10, Paul writes, My fellow prisoner... Aristarchus, and I probably butchered this, and I'll just tell you I'm terrible with names. I apologize in advance. Sends you his greetings, as does Mark, 
the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Well, Barnabas plays a role in my sermon, um, but we know biblically he was the cousin of Barnabas. And we also know that he accompanied Paul and Barnabas on Paul's first missionary journey that was recorded in Acts. In Acts 12.25, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Then in Acts 13, 4 and 5, the two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. So biblically, from the Bible, we know who his mother was. He was cousin of Barnabas, one of the early leaders of the church, and he participated with the leaders of the church in mission trips. Well, then there's the tradition of Mark. Um, and traditions are funny things. We have them in the United States. And one of the traditions we have, there's lots of them like George Washington. You know, I grew up in the 70s taught that George Washington said, when he cut down the cherry tree, I cannot tell a lie, I cut it down. Now if you go look, all the historians are saying there's never any proof this was. This is just something somebody said, it's a tradition. But it's believed. If you'd asked me growing up, and even now, I'd say, well, I can believe it. So the traditions are there. It's just a tradition, though. It's not necessarily biblically based. Um, the Coptic Church, that's the Eastern Orthodox Church in Alexandria, Egypt, the Coptic Church considers Mark their founder, and they have literally hundreds of traditions about him. Go to orthodoxwiki.org, which is the Orthodox Church Wikipedia, and you can see a lot. I've got a couple out of them to go through just to see what the tradition about Mark is. The first is, is that he was present at the Passover, in Mark 14, 13, and 14, it's recorded, So he, being Jesus, sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, say to the owner of the house he enters. The teacher asked, Where is my guest room, and where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? The Coptic church considers John the man with the jar, and obviously the house was his mother's house, Mary of Jerusalem. But they believe it. Their tradition is built around the fact that from the beginning, Mark was present with Jesus. They also have, um, consider in Mark 14, 51, and 52, that a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. That's one of those verses I snickered at as a youth when we went through. But the Coptic Church considers that that was John. John was the youth following along. This is when Jesus was arrested and taken away. And that they feel that Mark put it in as kind of a signature in his gospel. That, you know, that was him that was there. And finally, that he was martyred in Alexandria. Now, there's no question he was martyred in Alexandria, but the Coptic tradition has it that um, he was dragged to death. What happened was, it was Easter, and there was also the celebration of a pagan feast called the Feast of Bacchus. It's basically a drunken orgy for a week long. And John and his followers were having Easter and instead were pushing against that, saying, no, come worship Christ. So the pagans went into church, put a noose around his neck, dragged him around Alexandria all day, locked him up at night, did it again the second day when he finally died. That's the tradition. Now, it's recorded in the Coptic church that happened. Historically, which we'll get to next, it just says he was martyred. And there's lots of traditions, like Peter was hung upside down on a cross because he felt he was unworthy to be crucified the same as the Lord. That's a tradition that uh, several of the denominations have. We don't know for a fact, but those are the traditions surrounding Mark. But... Traditionally, Mark is seen, at least in the Eastern Orthodox, as being involved from the very beginning 
of Christian ministry and was martyred for his faith. Finally, historically, going to the historical text written by the early church fathers or historians, um, what was said? First point was actually that he was not actually a, a disciple of Jesus. Papias said that, and also that he wrote the Gospel of Mark as a compilation of the teachings of Peter. And that's from, I'm going to butcher this, Eusebius. Eusebius, who wrote in the Ecclesiastical History, quoting Papias, stated, Mark became Peter's interpreter and wrote accurately all that he remembered, not in order of the things said or done by the Lord. For he had not heard the Lord, nor had he followed him. But later on, as I said, followed Peter, who used to give teaching as necessity demanded, but not making, as it were, an arrangement of the Lord's oracles. So Mark did nothing wrong in writing down single points as he remembered them. For the one thing he gave attention to was to leave nothing out that he had heard and make no false statements in them. So Eusebius was around 300, 400 A.D., and Papias was approximately 100 A.D., so early church fathers said Peter was not actually a disciple of Christ. Excuse me, John. John Mark was not a disciple of Christ. He was a disciple of Peter. And the gospel of Mark that we read is actually a collection of what Peter taught. And Peter taught it in such a way that it wasn't chronological from beginning to end. He taught it as, this may apply in this situation, or let me tell you a story about Jesus here. And because of that, Mark focused on getting it down the right way, not necessarily in the order it happened. So early church historians record him as not a disciple of Jesus, but of Peter. But one thing that's agreed on that's also traditional is um, that he taught and preached in Egypt. Jerome stated, so taking the gospel, which he himself composed, he went to Egypt and preaching first Christ at Alexandria, he formed a church that was so admirable in doctrine and continents of living that he constrained all followers to follow his example. And he goes on to say Philo, who was a very prominent Jew, recorded that they were such a good church in, in line with what was happening with the Jerusalem church that it mimicked Acts 2. And um, you know, the believers had all things in common as at Jerusalem. And he recorded what was done, and great praise was given to the most learned Mark. So historically, the biblical um, writers of the time, excuse me, not biblical, the historical church writers at the time wrote that he was a leader, and he taught in Alexandria. And they go on to say he died, just that he didn't necessarily get martyred by being drug around. So why is this important? I think it's important to look at, as we look at lessons that I've learned from the life of Mark and studying this, we need to see what Mark was. Biblically, he was involved in the early church. His mom was a Christian. They met at his house. He followed Barnabas and Paul on a missionary journey. Um, historically, he's identified as a leader in the church later in his life, founding a, the Church of Alexandria, which later became the Coptic tradition of the Eastern Orthodox Church. Also in the tradition, even though we can't say whether it's right or not, he obviously has a great tradition about how he served the Lord. And I'll tell you, if you go and look at it, you will see everything from who his father was to how he did it. It's really, it's an interesting read. I just can't say whether it's 100% right or not. But this is the John Mark that we're going to unpack here in a little bit. So what are the three points? There's lots more points that you can get out of any biblical figure if you go and study him. But the three that stuck out to me in preparing this lesson with John Mark was, you know, what can we learn from him? One is to play your part. The second, how to handle spiritual weakness. And we'll get to that. That was actually what the main text of this sermon was going to be out. And the final one is to finish strong. 
when it comes to playing your part, John was a helper at first. When we first see him, he was a helper. In Acts 13.5, which we read earlier, when they, or we read the verse prior to it earlier, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. Now the word that's used there, the Greek word is huperetem. What that means is an under rower. Well, what's an under rower? Well, to us, it wouldn't mean much today, but to the people of the time, it meant a lot. I don't know how familiar you are with uh, the naval vessels of the time, but some had sails, but for the most part, they had banks and banks of oars. And the bigger ones, the dyings and trines, had two or three banks, and they were stacked over each other on the side. And the under rowers were at the very bottom. They couldn't see anything. All they did was follow the hoarder, the person who beat the drum, and their job is to follow the direction of the hoarder. That's all they do. They don't determine anything. They don't look ahead. They don't anticipate. Your entire job is to follow what's being told you to do. And that's the word used for John Mark here when he went with uh, Paul and Barnabas to Salamis. He was their under rower. He's also identified um, by Peter as a helper in his ministry in 1 Peter 5.13. She who is with Babylon, he's giving up, by the way, ending up his letter. Babylon for him was Rome. She who is in Rome, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, as does my son Mark. He's identified as my adopted son Mark. Mark, Mark has helped me. Again, he was a helper to Peter during this time. And then later in his life, when Paul was in Rome in 2 Timothy, Paul writes, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Again, he's being identified, and this is before the founding of the Alexandria Church, as a helper. He was helpful. He was an under rower. Uh, one commentator wrote it, and I loved it. He was a second fiddle. Now, what I know about music can be inscribed with a wax pencil on my thumbnail. Um, I can kind of sort of play some things, but I don't know music theory. But my understanding is the second fiddle kind of plays the harmony behind things, and the melodies played by the first fiddle. All you do with second fiddle is support the main musician. Not a lot of glory in it, but it's critical. He was a second fiddle for much of his life. But then we see later, he developed into a leader. You know, as Jerome put it, so taking the gospel which he himself composed, he went to Egypt, first preaching Christ in Alexandria, and formed a church so admirable in doctrine and continents that he constrained or caused the others to want to follow along with him. In Romans 12, 3 through 7, we read, For by the grace given me, I say to each one of you, do not think yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing, let him contribute to the needs of others, giving generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Now, I'm not saying there's a natural progression here of this. I'm not saying that... Playing your part means you have to go from some background role to the front. There are not a lot of Billy Grahams in the world. There's not a lot of Micahs who preached up here a couple weeks ago, but there's a lot of people that serve in many roles. Mark grasped that. Mark served in his role, and I believe 
if you can remember back to my talk about the will of God sermon, that he was in touch with the will of God, and he was okay being second fiddle. That's what he did. And later he was called to be a leader, and he led diligently. But not all of us are called to do different things. I've mentioned her before from the pulpit. Um, her name is Ruby. She was at our church in the northwest side of Indianapolis. I have never met a more power prayer warrior in my life. As far as I know, that was really her only major gift that I saw. And according to her husband, she had it the entire time they were married. But that was her gift. She didn't look to go beyond it. She was following God. She was a prayer warrior. Everybody here has got gifts given to them. You know, what we can learn from Mark is use them. Get in touch with the will of God. Maybe it is being second fiddle. Maybe it is teaching. Maybe it's encouraging showing generosity, whatever it is. But Mark did it. Now, his changed, his role changed as he aged and moved on to different things. But he was always doing what he was called to do. Second thing I learned out of this is how to deal with spiritual weakness. And these next three verses are the verses that grabbed my attention a couple years ago. In Acts 13, 13, um, this is the first missionary journey. From Pamphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Then later in the books of Acts, it's written, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach, where we preach the word of the Lord, and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think it wise to take him, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So in 1313, we see they're on their way, they're on the missionary journey, and John left them to return to Jerusalem. This grabbed my attention. I was like, why? <laughs> you know, what happened here? Um, we don't know biblically. Now, there's lots of theories out there, and I'm going to share some of them, one of whom was the one that I related to the best, but... We don't know why. The first is, some scholars think that Mark didn't like it when Paul took over the leadership role from Barnabas. When they first left on the missionary trip, Barnabas was in charge. Paul was kind of the second fiddle, but a leader. And during that time, the roles switched. Was there some jealousy with Mark? His cousin was kind of demoted. There's no indication that Barnabas was upset by it or anything, but that's a theory that's out there. Another one is, is that Mark didn't like the focus of Paul's mission to the Gentiles. He was a disciple of Peter. Peter was the disciple to the circumcision, or the disciple to the Jews. If his training was with Peter, he may have looked at this as, why are we wasting our time on the Gentiles? My focus should be on the Jews. They were preaching the synagogue, yet Paul was reaching out to the Gentiles. Again, no proof. This is a theory. The third is, and it's one that comes to mind for you, maybe he left to take care of his mother in Jerusalem or family members. Maybe he got a call. Such and such is ill. You need to come home right now. And he did. The fourth is the one I related to, and those of us that did the um, Jamaica missions trip maybe could a little bit. He didn't like the rigors of the trip. Um, it was tough. It's theorized that they had a big enough house. They could have a lot of believers there. They probably had money. He probably was from a well-off household. And if you look at the traditions of the Coptic church, he was from a very well-off household of traders who made lots of money. And suddenly he's out on a mission trip. And though the verses I'm going to read after this are Paul at the end of his uh, different 
or missions trips, it still could have applied even then. In 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 27, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, and exposed to death again and again. Five times I have received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Now, this is at the end of his ministry, but I could see that and I could relate to that. I mean, we had a very limited, we had nice facilities, but laying there in 90 degree heat, <laughs> those of us that did sweating out, maybe it was too much for him. Maybe he just said, I've had enough, I'm going. We don't know why, we just know he left, but we know Paul's reaction to it. And it says, um, Paul did not wise, think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia. He had deserted them. Paul considered it a desertion. Paul said, you left us. I'm not sure I can trust you to continue with this work that I'm going to do. He considers it desertion. So we know the reaction to this spiritual weakness. Um, one of the commentators wrote, now like this, he, Mark, is a man who had a serious spiritual blip. He walked away from the mission field that we believe he was called to do. Uh, he also became, through that backsliding error, a cause for division between two great men of God. As you read on, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark, went to Cyprus. Paul took Silas, moved on um, where they were planning on going. Recorded in the Bible, sharp disagreement. And again, that grabbed my attention. What is a sharp disagreement like between two godly men? Um, my original sermon was going to be talking about disagreement. What's a sharp disagreement? How do we disagree? How do we reconcile? Um, but instead, it was like there's more to it than that. I wanted to blame one of the three characters in this. I wanted to blame Paul, to be honest. Um, wanted to say Barnabas was great and didn't even think at all about Mark. But as I was studying, I realized all three men are in the right in this, depending on how they went about what they were doing. If you look at Paul, Paul basically said, you lost your right to work with me. Looked him straight in the eye and said it. My work is so important, I cannot take a chance on you not being able to fill it with me. Now, he, Paul lived by the words. He was hardcore. He was one of those, I don't know if you ever met an athlete or a competitor in the workplace, you know, who's gets up in your face and says, one of us is going down and it's not going to be me. That was Paul with his ministry. One of us is going to serve Christ and it's going to be me. Um, he was very hardcore. He lived Jesus' words found in Mark 10, 29 through 30. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come eternal life. Paul was always focused on that goal. And he writes about it in other letters, focus on the race. It's a long race. Go for the prize. That's what Paul was doing. And he was saying, my work is so important, I can't take a risk on you. Jesus tells us in Matthew uh, 18, 22, that we're to forgive many times. How many times should we forgive? Seven times? No, I tell you, 77 times. Seven times, seven times. That, you know, if Paul 
had truly forgiven Mark, but said, you know what? My work's too important to take a chance on this, but I forgive you. I don't hold it against you. He is not being unbiblical. He is not working against Christ. He's just saying, my work here is so important, I can't take the risk right now. So he lost, you've lost your right to work with me. And, as we'll see later, he does earn it back, but he lost it. And that's, I wanted to say, that's, you need to give him a second chance. Now, Paul's focus was, I'm going to serve God, and I can't take the risk. But I do believe he forgave him. He was known for following Christ's tenets, and that's what we're called to do. He just chose not to take him on that trip. Barnabas was kind of the opposite. Barnabas said, I will serve with you. Barnabas is called the son of encouragement in Acts 4.36. He's known throughout the early writings as he was the encourager. He was the one that, here, let me pick you up and let's go again. And I'm not saying he probably wasn't disappointed in his cousin. Why'd you bail on us? Um, they talked to him about it, but he encouraged him. He said, I trust you. Let's go to Cyprus. And the early church writings talk about the church that was formed in Cyprus and how powerful it was in Barnabas and um, John Mark played a very important role in that. And some of the early writings, there's something called the Acts of Barnabas. It's not considered part of the Bible, but it is a historical writing that said, you know, he was buried there. He spent his time in Cyprus. Um, and he took John Mark with him. Come with me. I'm going to trust you. You know, we have a saying nowadays that says, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I don't think Barnabas lived that. Uh, we read it earlier in Romans where it says, you know, if your gift is encouragement, be encouraging. He was living that, and he lived his entire life that. I think that's something we all can do. Now, not all of us have the gift of encouragement. Uh, I'm definitely not one of them at times. You can ask my kids. But we should work for that. But he was right to say, I'm gonna, we're going to do it together. And then finally, there's Mark. And I've never even thought about Mark until preparing this sermon. You know, there's Mark. He's been told by a prominent member of the church, you're not worthy to go on this. I can't trust you. And he causes a division between two godly men, well-known leaders in the church. But instead of, and we'll talk about this the way I finished with it, he stepped forward and said, I'm going to continue to serve the Lord in whatever capacity I can. He was second fiddle. He went with Barnabas as second fiddle. But he stepped up and he did it. And through his life, he continued to serve. You know, he chose to continue after being rejected. You know, all three of these are right answers. If you've accepted forgiveness, but you say, you know what, it's too important, that's not against the Bible. If you choose to encourage everybody nonstop, that's a spiritual gift. We all should learn from Mark. We've got to step forward, even when we've had a backslide, whenever we've had a spiritual weakness, and say, I'm going to continue to serve the Lord. And that goes into the last point, which is finish strong. Now, the elders are going to recognize this. We're doing a book right now, uh, a supplementary study called Finishing Strong by Steve Farrar. And uh, it's geared towards men finishing strong, but I think it applies to everybody because we're all leaders. Whether we lead ourselves, we lead a large corporation, we lead a small group, we're teaching back there, we're on a sports team, whatever it is, we all lead something. Um, And Dr. Robert Clinton studied biblical leaders, and I'm not going to do the breakdown that they go through, but basically... There was, I believe, 52 or 58 leaders he was able to follow through biblically in the Bible, what happened to him, and he came up with four ways to finish. And I'm going to apply those as Mark did, and for us to look at it as well. The first is, he called it cut off early. An example of this would be John the Baptist. He was in his ministry, his head got taken off and put on a silver platter. 
He finished early. Others were denounced by the church and kicked out. Well, this doesn't apply to Mark. Mark wasn't denounced. He was just told, you're not welcome to go with me. But he continued in the church. So he wasn't cut off early. None of us here, as of yet, that we're aware of, have been cut off early. Um, And I hope none of us are. The second one is finished poorly. There's a lot of examples in the Bible of people that finished poorly. Uh, Solomon is a great example. He started strong asking for wisdom, and he ends up in the end chasing power, chasing women, chasing money, um, totally stepping away from what God called him to do. Mark could have done that. He could have walked away and said, I'm not going to deal with this church. I was turned down. I know it is. And just leave the church. Go to the synagogue, sit in the courts, talk about how Paul mistreated him and how the Christians were completely wrong. He didn't do that. The next one is finish so-so. Those that finish so-so continue with the walk with God, but they have definite ups and a lot of downs. David, great example of that, beloved of the Lord, um, did some great things for the Lord, yet turned around and had an affair. Turned around, didn't rule his family well, so that when he died, Israel fell apart. Um, Many sin issues that kept popping up after it. Um, Again, Mark could have done that. He could have finished so-so. He could have said, I'm going to stay with the church, but I'm not going to go do missions. Or I'm going to do missions, but I'm just going to serve. I'm not going to badmouth them. I'm going to take the high road, but I'm not going to be active. That's finishing so-so. But we see he didn't do that. He finished well. He finished strong. Another biblical example, this is Joseph. Joseph, who was sold into slavery, works his way up and down no matter what trusts in the Lord. And in the end, he served the Lord to his end of his days. Well, that's what Mark did. John Mark finished strong. He went on. He played second fiddle for years. He was called into leadership. He founded a church. After he founded a church, he was martyred for his belief. Now, I'm not saying you have to be martyred to be finished well. (laughs) Okay. But it happens. But he did that. He finished strong. We all should finish strong. It's very easy for all of us to pick one of those Uh, second and third one, finish so-so, finish poorly. We all have an excuse if something doesn't go our way. We are all going to backslide. We're all going to deal with people who have backslide. Nobody is perfect except for Jesus. It's in the Bible. We know that. But it's how we finish. I had to put this in here, and those that know me know that I love UFC, mixed martial arts. I love it. We actually have people come to the house and occasionally watch it on Saturday nights, pay-per-view. Some of the church comes with me too. But there's a phrase called a tap out. A tap out is when somebody makes a motion, normally it's a double tap on the person or the ground, and it says, I've had enough. For whatever reason. Maybe their arm's getting dislocated. Maybe they're too tired to go on it. Maybe they're getting ready to be choked out. They can't keep going. They have tap outs in judo and other sports too. But a tap out is saying, I'm done. Well, don't tap out. Mark did not tap out. John Mark had an excuse. I mean, I could think of few things as embarrassing that would hit a pride as to be publicly said, you cannot go with me because you abandoned me. You know, I'm sure that wasn't a little discussion to the side. I made the Bible. Everybody knows it happened. He had an excuse, but he didn't. He knuckled down, he took his second fiddle roll, and he went from there, and the Lord followed him. You can find a reason to, too. Any of us could. I'm sure we've all had disappointments. If not now, we will in the future. Whether it's our spiritual failing or somebody else's that we're dealing with. And we can find the excuse to say, well, I'm going to step back from the church. 
Uh, it's not right for me right now. I think I'll just sit down here. I'm, I'm going to move on. It's just not for me. And if you finish poorly, it may even be, I'm done with the church. I'm going to walk away. I'm sure we all know people who have done this, unfortunately. And then there's those that finish so-so who say, you know what? I'm going to be part of the church. I'm going to give my money. I'm going to do this. But, you know, I'm not going to say anything bad. It's just they're not serving their capacity. They are not doing what they're called to do. But don't do it. And the reason not to do it, and I love this one, is Jesus didn't tap. Now, this comes from a mixed martial arts clothing line, believe it or not. They're allegedly Christian. I know nothing about them. But I first saw it about a year ago. Jesus did not tap out. Jesus did not quit when he could have. We're called to live like Jesus. In Romans 6.11, it says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus died for us, we are with God eternally. Eternal salvation, the gospel message that has not changed. Mark didn't tap out because he was living eternally. We shouldn't tap out because we're to live like Christ. And Christ didn't tap out so that we can be in heaven with him. So the three lessons to take from here that I really want you to take are, one, play your part. If you don't know what your part is, find out. Two, deal with spiritual failures. Whether your own or somebody else's, learn how to deal with them. There's three different ways that were dealt with in that one verse, and all are correct if you're done with the right heart, if you have forgiven and moved on, or if you have had a problem to go ask for forgiveness and move on. All three are appropriate, and there's other ways to deal with them. And finally, finish strong. We're all called to finish strong. Mark finished strong, martyred after creating a church that was well-known throughout the East for its faithfulness and its doctrine. So as I close this in prayer, I just want you to think about what Mark did. Mark, who was this kind of nebulous figure that we know a little bit of tradition, a little bit biblically, a little bit more from historical documents, but he played his part. He dealt with spiritual failure, his own and probably lots of others, and he finished strong. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, Lord, I just thank you today for this opportunity to learn from your word about an early Christian who uh, served you and served you well. Lord, I pray that as we remember what Jesus did for us, that we wouldn't tap out, that we would take the road that Jesus did. With that and serving you, we know that we will join you eternally in heaven. God, we thank you so much for the many blessings in our life, including the lessons here today, and I pray we would act upon them. It's in your name we pray. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, thank you for this uh, awesome time of worship in your house. Thank you for everybody that came forward today to worship with you in song and your teaching, just in being in corporate worship. Thank you so much um, for the many blessings you've given us, including your son and eternal life. Pray you would protect us, keep us safe till we gather again next week. Bless our groups as they meet. And Lord, that we would just, we would finish strong day in and day out with you. It's in your name we pray.